Jesus sent the disciples out by two. There were 70, I believe it was. said he sent the 70 out by two. And they came back, and this is what they said to Jesus. Even the devil is subject to us in your name. They understood the power. It's not a magical charm. It's not an incantation. You cannot separate Jesus from his name. Everything he is, he is in his name. And the greatest confession any person can ever make is this. Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, one day, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, since everybody's going to do it, we might as well do it right now, okay? And I want us to say it with authority, knowing that there's power. This goes through the heavens. This absolutely goes through the atmosphere when we make the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. And I, you can't, the Lord said you can't do it sitting down. I know you're comfortable, but stand up. And we're going to say it, and we're going to say it twice. And we're going to say it with authority, and we're just saying, Jesus is Lord. The devil is under his feet. The world is under his feet. The flesh is under his feet. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is Lord. Are you ready? One, two, three. Jesus Christ is Lord. One more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. And give the Lord a hand and tell him how great he is and praise his holy name. Praise God. You can be, you can be seated. Man, I love to do that. And I guarantee you it makes the devil mad. And praise God releases the Spirit of God to work in the hearts of people. Open your Bible to the book of 1 John. This is the fifth and final message from this little book. The title of these five messages has been this. Freedom from deception. Freedom from deception. No book in the Bible is more clear and more helpful in exposing deception than the book of 1 John. Because 1 John just keeps saying, now we know. That's what he's saying. Now here's the truth. Here's the truth about Jesus. We know it. Here's the truth about salvation. We know it. Here's the truth about loving God and loving people. We know it. Here's the truth about prayer and answered prayer and we know it. Those are the four areas that we've already covered. How this book says this is the truth about Jesus, about salvation, about loving God and loving people, and the truth about prayer and answered prayer. Do you realize in the five little chapters of book of 1 John, the word we know is used over 27 times. We know, we know, we know. Now, the best way to know the counterfeit is to know the truth or the real thing. When they teach people to discover counterfeit bills, they do not give them counterfeit bills and say, we want you to study them. No, what they do is they give them the real currency and they get to know the real currency so good that when they get a counterfeit, they will recognize it because they know the true currency. See, the way to recognize deception and the way to recognize the counterfeit is to know the truth. 
It's amazing how God warns us about the last days. In Second, First Timothy four fourteen, listen to what it says: In the latter times, people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He said, in the last days, they're going to go away from the faith of this book, and they're going to give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In 2 Timothy 3.13, listen to what it says. Evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, it says, the time will come. Now listen to this. It's now. The time will come where they will not endure sound the doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and will go astray and believe that which is folly. He said they'll get people, teachers, to tell them what they want to hear. These are the latter times. These are the days of deception. And so what we're doing is saying, wait, I know the truth about Jesus, and I know the truth about salvation. And I know the truth about whether I really love God and love people. And I know the truth about how and why God answers prayer. And it's already right here in First John. If you missed any of them, every one of these four messages is on a CD and you need to get it and listen to it. But oh, today, you know what he's going to talk to us about? The truth about the return of Jesus Christ. There is so much deception about the return of Christ. Too much deception about the fact that Jesus will visibly and bodily return to this earth again. Did you know there are over 20, there, there are many, many references, many references in the Bible about the first coming of Jesus. You could go over to Isaiah and it says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and we'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus. But do you realize that in the New Testament, there are over 200 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ? One in every seven verses in the New Testament, 200 references to the return of Christ. It is all over the New Testament. If you believe that he came the first time, then you have more evidence and more proof for his second coming than you did for his first coming. But you know what the Bible says? That in the last days, scoffers are going to come, saying, well, well, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2. I want you to listen to what it says about this. It says in, in chapter 3. You see, there's deception today. They would say to you, man, Jesus Christ is not coming back to this earth. He's not coming again visibly and bodily to rule and to reign for a thousand years on this earth. He's not coming. And you, and you see this. It warns us in 2 Peter 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, 
all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They say, man, listen, you've been saying Jesus, the church has been saying Jesus was coming back for 2,000 years. Nothing's changed. Oh, yes, it has. And I want you to know the scoffers are saying he's not coming. And the fact that they're saying that is another evidence that he is coming because the Bible said they would deny the return of Christ. Now, in 1 John, we have two tremendous truths about the second coming of Christ. First of all, I want you to notice in chapter 2, verse 28 of 1 John. Now, look with me. It talks about the reality of his coming. John just says he's coming. When he comes, when he appears. It's not if. It never occurred to John that it would not happen. And under the Holy Spirit's guidance, he says in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 28, listen to what he says. And now, little children, that's an affectionate term for the children of God. And now, little children, abide in him, abide in Christ, that when he appears, not if he appears. He said, now, you you abide in Jesus every day so that when he appears, We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Not only is he coming, but we are going to face him. He said, I want you to have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know everyone that practices righteousness is born of God. Now, once again, in chapter 3. Verse 2, John says, let me tell you, he's coming. Here's the reality of his coming. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Right now we're God's children. The day Jesus Christ came into our heart, the day Jesus Christ washed our sins away, the day we went from darkness, praise God, to light, the day we went from death to life by the power, the saving power of Jesus Christ. He said, beloved, now we're the children of God. And it has not been revealed what we shall be. But here it is. But we know, oh, there's that word. We know that when he is revealed, when he comes back, we know that when he comes back, when he is revealed, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. He said, you know, there are a lot of things we don't know, but we know this, that when he appears, When he comes back, we're going to be just like him. We're going to have a body just like the one he had when he was raised from the dead. You know, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, don't miss verse 3. What a sobering verse. And everyone who has this hope, the hope that Jesus is coming back, the hope that when he comes back, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. He says, Everyone, John says, who has this hope purifies himself. What a word. You know he's coming. You don't want to be ashamed before him at his coming. And so he says, everyone that has this hope purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. So we see in 1 John the truth that it's the reality of Christ's return. He said, man, he's coming. He's coming. And he said, uh, when he appears, we're going to be like him. We will see him as he is. You know, 
The first verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This book begins, in the beginning, God. Did you know what? The last verse in the Bible, you know what Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says? You know what it says? Genesis, the beginning, says, in the beginning, God. Revelation 22, verse 20. The next to the last verse in the Bible. It says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly, instantly, suddenly I'm going to appear. Next to the last verse in the Bible, talking about the return of Christ. He says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And then he says, even so come, Lord Jesus. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. And it closes with Jesus saying, he said, surely I'm going to come in an instant. I'm going to come suddenly, and I'm going to come quickly. And John says, even so, even so, come, Lord Jesus. See, the book of 1 John says, don't listen to the scoffers. Don't listen to the, the, to the liberals. Don't listen to those who are full of unbelief. Don't do that. He said, you believe the word of God. And he said, I am telling you, he will appear. And when he appears, we will be like him. But then there's another great truth in 1 John about his return. Not only the reality of it. And folks, I'm telling you, I am uh, 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 more, I'm, I'm more, as much sure or more sure of his second coming than I was his first coming. I know he came the first time. I know he was born of the Virgin Mary in the manger in Bethlehem. I know he grew up in Nazareth. I know that the, the blind saw and the lame walked and the dead were raised. And I know that he fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. I know the reality of the historical Christ. I believe with all of my heart that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. I believe that and I know it to be true. But I want to tell you, just as I believe that, I know one day the eastern sky is going to split and the Son of God is going to come in all of His power and of His glory and every eye shall see Him. Even those who nailed Him to the cross will mourn before Him. Hey, we know the reality of His coming. But now we've got to prepare for His coming. We've got to prepare for it. And that is exactly what John says. He says, and let me tell you, Fred, how to get ready for Jesus to return. He said, I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to have confidence before him when he returns. And so the, the key verse is this. John chapter 2, uh, verse 15. Listen to what it says. It says, let me just read exactly what it says. And, and it says, and now little, it's verse 28. John chapter 2, verse 28. This is the way we prepare for his coming. And we prepare for his coming every day. Every day I get up, every day I live, every day I follow Jesus, every day, I'm every day, we're preparing for his coming. And so how do we prepare? He tells us very, very clearly. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Christ. 
allow Jesus Christ not only to live in you, but allow Jesus Christ to be your life. Now, what does it mean to abide in Christ? He says, now look, if you abide in him, you won't be ashamed when he comes back. If you abide in him, you'll have confidence when he appears in the sky. Now, to understand what it means to abide in Christ, we go back to the words of Jesus himself. Jesus told us what it meant to abide in him. Over in John 15, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, now, you know, when you abide in me, you're going to be very fruitful, and my Father is going to be glorified. All right, John 15, verses 4 and 5, listen to what he said. He says, abide in me, Jesus said, and I will abide in you. As the branch, underscore that word branch, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, no more can you unless you abide in me. He said, now you know that a branch is a, a, a branch of an apple tree or a branch, a branch of a, a grapevine or a branch of any uh, tree it's not going to have any fruit unless it remains in the trunk of the tree or in the vine because if it's broken off, it's not going to have any fruit in it. So he said, now listen, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. No more can you unless you abide in me. Now listen to verse 5. This is what it means to abide in Jesus. I am the vine. Okay, Jesus. The life is in the vine. The life is in you. You said, I am the vine. Okay. The life flows through the vine. The life flows through the vine. I am the vine, and you, every child of God, you're the branches. You're the branches. You're, 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 you're hooked into me. I mean, here's the vine, and here you are. Man, you're a branch coming off of me. When you got saved... I came to live inside of you, and you were grafted into the vine. You were grafted into the vine. And he said, I'm the vine, and you are a branch. He said, you abide in me, and as you abide in me, my life will flow to you. And he said, without, for without me, you, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do, somebody say it. He said, Fred, without me, you can't do anything. He said, you've got to understand, I'm the vine. All the life is in me. So you've got to abide in me. I mean, you've just got to abide in me. I mean, you've got to abide in me. And as you abide in me, my life, my life, the vine, will flow into you. And you'll find the life of Jesus flowing into you. And you say, you know, I have the power to forgive. It's the presence of Jesus. It's the vine. It's his life flowing into you. And you have the power to forgive. And you say, you know, I find myself, I really love people. I really do care. I'm not selfish anymore. I'm not self-centered anymore. I'm not just living, you know. I mean, I really love people. 
Well, what is that? See, he's the vine. And your branch and his life is flowing into you. And his life is a life of forgiveness. And his life is a life of love. And you know, as you abide in the vine, and it's his life in you now, he said, without me you can do nothing. And by the way, nothing is nothing. Without me you can do nothing. You say, well, I can forgive in my own power. You cannot. I can love in my own power. You cannot. I can be unselfish in my own power. You cannot. You may last a minute or two, but there will be no lasting because Jesus said only as his life was in us would we be able to forgive and to love. And by the way, You say, you know, the things I used to love, I don't love them anymore. The things I wanted to do and the places I wanted to go and the sin I wanted to live in and the choices I wanted to make. Oh, I'm tempted. But you know, I I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I know what it is. Man, that's death. That's destruction. Satan offers freedom The pleasure of sin, but it ends up that you're a slave and you're bound. He said, you know, I find that the things I used to love, I don't love them anymore. And the things I used to want to do, (laughs) I don't want to do anymore. What's happened? Oh, I'll tell you exactly what's happened. When Jesus Christ came to live inside of you, he's the vine. And you were grafted into Uh, And you're the branch. And you were grafted into him. And now it's not you. It is the life of Christ flowing into you. And it's his life of forgiveness. And it's his life of love. And it's his life to live a righteous life and a holy life. Not a perfect life, but a righteous life. A life that instead of running to sin, runs from sin. Well, how in the world does that happen? It's he's the vine. And you're the branch. And his life flows into you it's not struggling it's not striving it's not reforming it's not turning over a new leaf it's not doing the best you can i guarantee you i don't I've, if i've said this one time i've said it a thousand times lord jesus i'm helpless i'm helpless but you're my help jesus i'm weak but you're my strength Without you, Jesus, I'm nothing. But in you, Jesus, I'm complete. Without you, Jesus, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Listen, it's called abiding in Jesus. Man, don't don't you try to live. Somebody asked me, Brother Fred, is the Christian life difficult? I said, no, it's impossible. You can't live the Christian life. The only one who can is Jesus. But praise God, he's the vine and you're a branch and his life flows into you. And you can stand before God and say, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. How do you prepare for the return of Christ? It's called abiding in Jesus. Dying to yourself, I can't. I can't, Lord. But Jesus can, and he lives in me, and he will. And so, I mean, how you prepare is abiding in Christ every day. You rely on him. You trust in him. You cling to him. You surrender to him. You yield to him. You depend on him. You're absolutely not looking to yourself. You're looking to him. The way you prepare for the return of, I'm reading 1 John, little children, 
abide in him, that when he appears, you will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Here's the second way you prepare for his coming. Oh, he's coming. It's closer than it's ever been. I'm telling you, I'm not listening for, looking for a sign. I'm listening for a shout. That's what it is. It's, it's closer than it's ever been. Hallelujah. But you know, he's coming. But I, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to be. I'm his child. So how am I going to be ready? You've got to abide in him. But secondly, now this is an interesting verse. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Now, I want to know what that means. As he is pure. So you look, you're not only a body, but you know, you've you got this hope that he's coming for you. Then you purify yourself. Just as he is pure. Hey, by the way, I love what he said here. Everyone who has this hope, the hope of Jesus' return, the hope. Everyone who has this hope. You know, the Bible talks about the return of Christ as a blessed hope. I love this. It says, listen to these verses. It talks about we're looking for the hope of Jesus' return. In Titus 1, verse 11, Titus 2, verse 11. Now, now stay with me. It's progressive here. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us God's grace that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then he says, looking for the blessed hope. He said, God's grace has come, and you've been saved. And you're living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And you're looking for the blessed hope. <laughs> you're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Listen to what he says. The glorious appearing of our great and God, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls the return of Christ looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Man, it's a blessed hope and it's a glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. I got to thinking. What does it mean for us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to purify ourselves just like Jesus is pure? Can I tell you what it is? I really believe this. We, we, are, we by the power of the Holy Spirit, purify ourselves just like Jesus was pure. And let me tell you how he was pure. Now, I want to tell you how Jesus was pure. It just wasn't the absence of sin in his life. Let me tell you how he was pure. First of all, Jesus was pure in his motives. He was pure not only in what he did. He was pure in why he did it. Oh, now you need to hear me here. The, mo the deed is no purer than the motive. You can do something that is right. But if your motive is not pure, the deed is not right. And so the thing that I gripped me about Jesus was not just what he did, but how pure his heart was. His motive was always pure. His motive 
was always pure. You know why I know that? He told us. I want you to listen. He told us that his motives were pure. Everything he did, he did with a pure motive for the glory of his Father. In John chapter 4, verse 34, I want you to listen. This is the motive of Jesus. The disciples had gone to get some food from town. Evidently, it was way past lunchtime. And a woman came to get some water from the well. And Jesus began to talk to that woman and come to discover. He said, uh, go, go, you know, he told her some things. And she said, well, I'm, I, 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 and, 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 and she asked him some questions. He said, well, now, well, just, just go, uh, 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 go tell your husband. And she said, well, uh, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, I know you don't. You've had five. And the one you're married to is not your husband anymore. And, and she said, well, man, how in the world did you know that? You've got to be the prophet. They said the Messiah's coming. Well, on and on. And so he talks to her and he ministers to her. And the disciples come back. And first of all, they're amazed that Jesus, a Jew, was talking to a Samaritan woman who was an outcast. But you see, I want you to know Jesus Christ loves every person and nobody in this room is an outcast. And the disciples said, Master, we've got you. Here's your, here's your lunch. Here's your lunch. Listen to what Jesus said. You want to see how pure his motive was? In the meantime, his disciples urged him in John 4, 31, Rabbi, eat. He said, I have food to eat that you do not know of. Oh, somebody's already brought you something to eat. He said, no. He said, you don't understand. I have food to eat you do not know of. And then he said it. Let me show you how pure his motive was. In verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said, my motive, more important than food that would ever go in my body. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish its work. He said, it's not about my will. It's about his will. And I don't get life from physical food. I get life from doing the will of the Father who sent me. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was pure in his motives. The will of God. That's the only thing that mattered to him. Over in chapter 5, you want to see how pure Jesus' motives are? And let me just say something to you. The reason you do something is as important as what you do. The deed is no purer than its motive. And when he says, you be pure like Jesus is pure, I'm saying, God's saying to us, be sure your motives are pure. Be sure your heart is pure. Be sure you're doing it for the will of God and the glory of God. Over in John chapter 5, verse 19, now listen to the motives of Jesus. Jesus answered and said to them, truly, most assuredly, I say to you, The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. Whatever he does, the Father, the Son does in like manner. Jesus said, some of you want to know why I do what I do. He said, you you don't understand some of the things I don't do, he said to the disciples. And you don't understand some of the things I do do. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, here's what it is. He says, I can't do anything of myself. Whatever I see the Father doing, 
I do. He says, for the Son does what the Father does. See, his motive was pure. He never acted apart. He saw his Father do it. Then he responded. His motive was pure. And he did what his Father did. He says it again in verse 30. Listen to Jesus. This is how pure his motives were. I can do nothing. I can of myself do nothing. That's pretty pure. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous. Now listen to this. Here's his motive. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You know what he said? Jesus is coming back, John said. I don't care what the scoffers say. He's coming. Now you abide in him. You let his life flow into you, and you let him be your life and your strength. Don't you look to yourself. You look to him. You abide in him, and you won't be ashamed when he comes. And he said, also, let me tell you this. I want you to, I want you to be pure just like he's pure. And what he was saying is, I want not only what you do to be right, but I want the reason you do it to be right. I want your motives to be pure. Oh, friend, under God, that everything that we do would be that we might do his will and that he might be glorified. And God would strip away from us any desire, anything in us that would want glory or glorify ourselves or our own will, that our motives would always be pure <clears throat> like his is pure. You know, there's one other thing. He says, not only be pure in your motives, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he's pure. He's pure in his motives, but he's pure in his lifestyle. Listen to me now. Purity in your lifestyle is not just the absence of sin. Now, that's part of it. Well, I, well, I don't lie. Well, praise God. I don't steal. Praise God. I'm not bitter and unforgiving. Praise God. You know, I'm not immoral. Praise God. Well, and that's good. But a purity is much more than that. It is not just the absence of sin, it is the presence of righteousness. And so Jesus, oh, he never sinned. He never sinned. He is the lamb without spot and blemish. Pilate spoke for all of them when he said, I don't find any fault in this man. Nobody did. They lied about him, and it, but no, he was sinless. The Bible says God made him to be sin who knew no sin. The Father says he knew no sin, but I, I put his, your sin on him. So purity is not just the absence of sin. It is the presence of righteousness. Jesus forgave. He forgave those who nailed him to the cross. That's righteousness. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery. Moses and the law said, if someone is caught in adultery, stone them. So they caught her. They brought her before Jesus. And they said, trying to trap him, don't you know what the law says? Moses and the law says that she's to be stoned to death. But you see, the law of Moses was passing away. And the day of grace was dawning in Jesus Christ. And so the grace of God said, I'll tell you what. You think, we ought to st you, think you ought to stone her 
for committing the adultery. He said, I tell you what, let, the, let every one of you who has no sin, you throw the first rock. If you're sinless, then you throw a rock. And you start the stoning. And then everybody without sin, you throw a rock and you stone her. He just wrote something in the, in the soul. Every one of them left. Every one of them left. Except Jesus. He was the only one that could have thrown a rock. He was the only one that could have stoned her. But do you remember what he said? This is the grace of God. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, purity is not just the absence of sin. It's the presence of righteousness. He forgave her. Man, when you forgive a person, you're never more like Jesus. Do you know that when you walk in forgiveness, you forgive yourself and you forgive, you're never more like Jesus. That's purity like he is pure. You have a heart of forgiveness. Tell you another thing. He loved people. That's righteousness. You remember the disciples? I'm going to tell you right now. The disciples were not too, too good a crowd. I mean, that, that, the disciples, they would get full of unbelief. They got in a storm, and Jesus was even in the boat with them. And, and they got afraid and said, Lord, you just put us out here to die. I mean, they, they heard him, but they didn't hear him. They saw the miracles, but sometimes it's like they had, had no memory whatsoever. I'm telling you, the crowd of Jesus, that those disciples, 11 of them, were faithful and followed on. One was a betrayer. I mean, that was not the easiest crowd to be a pastor of. I want you to know that right now. Oh, no. I mean, that was a difficult group of people. Peter said, I'll tell you one. Jesus said, the Father's told me to go to the cross and die. Peter said, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do that. And you, Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, devil. You're trying to keep me from doing the will of God. Then Peter, he must have been the head deacon. Then Peter said, he said, all of these people will betray you, but I'll never betray you. And three times before the rooster crowed, Peter denied that he ever knew him. You say, man, that wasn't too good a congregation. Well, it's right before, a little before Pentecost, and they got changed, folks, when the Holy Spirit filled them. But let me give you the good news. I want to show you righteousness. I want to show you purity. In John 13... Chapter 1, it says, John 13, verse 1. And Jesus knew that knowing that his hour had come, he was going to the cross. He loved his disciples, and he loved them to the end. Jesus knew how they'd messed up along the way. But you know, Jesus just kept right on loving them. He just kept right on loving them. And the Bible says... He loved them. See, purity is the purity of motives. But it's not just the absence of sin. It is the presence of righteousness. And Jesus loved them. And Jesus was full of love. And he's full of forgiveness. And then this is the last thing. He was just such a servant. You know, he was always just serving people. Feeding the 5,000. Went to the upper room with the disciples and washed their feet. And said, now, listen, if I, your Lord Master, washed your feet, that's a servant. Man, I washed your feet. Then you ought to wash each other's feet. He said, I've given you an example. How can you be ready when Jesus comes? 
Well, First John tells you, you better be sure you're saved. You better read it, examine your life in light of the book of First John and find out whether or not you're saved. First of all, you've got to be sure you're saved. But then being saved, he said, abide in Christ, abide in him. Let him be your life. He's the vine, you're the branch. You just let him be your life. Depend on him, trust in him, cling to him. And he said also, just purify yourself. Let the Holy Spirit purify your motives. And I want you to be pure, not just the absence of sin, but I want to be the presence of righteousness. Love, forgiveness, servant. Folks, he's coming. You said, Brother Fred, they've been saying that as long as I can remember. Well, you, you need to hear it. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but I know one thing. He came the first time, hallelujah, and he's going to come again. And praise his holy name.